So our sermon text this morning is Acts 6, 8 through 8, 3. Hear the word of the Lord. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenaeans and of the Alexandrians and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceased to speak words against this holy place and the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to give it uh, to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, uh, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of 12 patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor and Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. 
He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Man, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled, came in exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give us, but our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside. And in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. And they made a calf in those days, and they offered a sacrifice to the idol, and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven, as it's written in the book of the prophets. Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifice during the forty years of the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and started in the star of your god, Riphan, and the images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it, according to the pattern he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did 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 not my hand make all these things? You stiff necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you've now betrayed and murdered, you who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said behold I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him then they cast him out of the city and stoned him and the witnesses 
laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word this morning. Even the parts that are sometimes sad to hear about this man who was put to death for his faith in Jesus. But Lord, we know that as you, by the death of one man, made many to be righteous, we know that by the death of this man, you make an example of faithfulness for us to follow. Lord, I pray that our hearts and our ears would be opened wide to receive your word this morning. I pray that we would listen attentively to what you have for us. I pray that we would anticipate your working within us and that we would be desperate and starving for a work of your spirit among us. God, we pray all of this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so since I uh, read that long passage, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure um, is a record for us uh, in 73 verses. I, it's, I mean, you're laughing, but I think, to the best of our knowledge, we talked about it, is a record. Um, so uh, with that in mind, I'm going to go ahead and just skip the kind of like cute icebreaker introduction part and just go ahead and get right into the uh, text here. So in this passage, we see the account of the first Christian martyr, the account of the first Christian martyr and it's one of those passages that we are so familiar with that we actually risk it becoming overly familiar. Some passages in scripture we, we hear so much, we've heard so often, that we risk them becoming overly familiar to us if we're not careful. You know, you know the passages that uh, can be overly familiar because they have a name to them, right? I mean, you've got uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, you've got Noah's Ark, you've got the raising of Lazarus, uh, you've got the seven churches, the whole armor of God, um, and of course here, the stoning of Stephen. In our comfortability with this passage, in our familiarity with the passage, I think we have the possibility, if we're not careful, of losing two things. Number one, we have the possibility to miss the fact that a man died. That a man died. I mean, we, we talk about Stephen, we, we, we kind of rush past it, but I mean, this was a man with, with family, with friends, with occupation, with a life, and he died brutally by stoning. A painful death. So we, we miss, we can miss the fact that a man died. And yet, even so, we can also miss the fact that we are being encouraged to see this man who died for his faith in Jesus as an example for us to follow as disciples of Jesus. Um, when I read this passage, when I'm reading through Acts, you know, just in my private reading, um, I, I'll come through and, and I get to Acts and, and the stoning of Stephen, and I, I my takeaway is typically 
that sounds awful. There was a lot of persecution that these men and women were facing as followers of Jesus in this time. And what I have the possibility to miss if I'm not careful is that I'm being called to do and be the same kind of things that wound Stephen up in the situation. The way that Luke talks about Acts, excuse me, he talks about Stephen, he's obviously meant to, to set us up, to set him up as an example for the early church as they received this, um, this, this document of Acts. Um, and for us today, even as we hear these words, to show him as an example of what it meant to be a faithful follower of Jesus. I mean, he talks about him being full of grace and power. He was doing great wonders. He talks about him uh, being wise and people being unable to refute uh, what he says. I mean, it says in 6.15, and gazing at him, all who saw in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Um, Luke definitely wants to set this man Stephen up as an example for those who are dedicated to following Jesus to follow, a, you know, a follower to follow. Um, and so um, I believe that we today are called to pursue this example. Now, I'm not going to have time to go over this whole passage line by line. I don't think anybody wants that, um, obviously, with uh, all of those verses. But I do want us to be on the same page and to give a brief overview of what the passage is saying uh, before we get into um, kind of drawing meaning out of it. So um, Stephen here, we, we need to begin with who is Stephen? Stephen is one of the seven original deacons, right? He was he was uh, called out to serve the church. Beyond that, we don't really have much biographical information, right? We don't know who the man, uh, like, was, was married to, where he came from, where he lived. We, besides, you know, we can assume Jerusalem. But we, we don't know much information about him. But we do know that he was ministering in great power. And by his, uh, his miracles and his preaching, he brought a lot of attention upon himself. And eventually, this, this contingency, this, this group... Um, of, of what's called the, the freedmen here, uh, which were probably, you know, former Jewish slaves in the Roman Empire who had been freed, they were upset with the things that he was saying, and they were unable to refute the things that he was saying, and so they planted uh, false witnesses who misrepresented uh, what, what um, Stephen was saying. They, they said that he was trying to tear down the temple and end the law of Moses, which was not Stephen's ambition, right? He was not wanting the temple to be destroyed. He was not wanting the law of Moses to, to, be, uh, to be destroyed as well. But that was the claim against him. And so he uh, was asked to speak before the council. He gives a testimony of much of the Old Testament. <laughs> um, he, he explains uh, much of the Old Testament in a, an attempt to show that he was, um, he was in fact not doing those things and to defend himself. But he also points out the fact that, uh, that, these, uh, that these religious leaders that had brought him uh, up and brought these charges, he says pretty clearly, uh, you are the ones in the wrong. You are the ones who have rejected the Messiah. You are the ones that have rejected the law um, and its, its call for mercy and love and grace. And so um, at that, they were incensed and they took him and they stoned him. A man named Saul was there as well, who will become later, important later, but is less important for our purposes right here this morning. But 
In other words, we see a man who was unjustly put to death, but a man who was unjustly put to death because he was doing great things for the Lord. So this is obviously, it, it is a sad story. It is a sad story, and there's much we could focus on here. We could bring out the, uh, the, the topics of martyrdom and persecution, and those are very much present realities in this passage. But what I want to do, as I've, I've already said, as we go through uh, and look at what Stephen was like and the character that he displayed in this, uh, in this appeal to these religious authorities, I want to bring him out as an example for us to follow. And so I want to point out specifically three things, three ways I believe that Stephen sets us an example as a follower and as a disciple of Jesus for us to emulate as well. Number one, Stephen sets an example in his dependence on the Spirit. Number two, Stephen sets an example in his dedication to the scriptures. Number three, Stephen sets an example in his devotion to Jesus. Dependence on the Spirit, dedication to the scriptures, and devotion to Jesus. So, first of those that we see is that Stephen was dependent. He depended on the Holy Spirit for the ministry that he was accomplishing. As we look through the book of Acts, we see, um, we see um, these apostles ministering powerfully, and they're able to minister powerfully because the work of the Holy Spirit is empowering for the, them for the mission of God. And Stephen is not exempt in this regard, and in, in fact, he's exemplary here. He exemplifies what it means to minister in the power of the Holy Spirit. He is dependent on the Holy Spirit for his work. I believe that Stephen depended on the Spirit for power in his ministry and guidance in his, uh, in his answering these questions of uh, the religious leaders. So first, Stephen depended on the Holy Spirit for power, for power in the ministry that he was accomplishing. We see the way that Luke describes him here. It says immediately in 6-8, Stephen was full of grace and power. And we know that that power not being um, of his own accord, but being filled with the Holy Spirit as the apostles um, earlier, as he describes them as being full of power in their ministry as the Holy Spirit came upon them. It, it refers again and again and again to the way that Stephen was filled with the Spirit and he was acting in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so even here, um, here we see that, that Stephen is, is exemplifying this, and as these people come to him uh, and, and charge him with these uh, false accusations, he is able to withstand them, again, because of the power of the Spirit. Like 6.10, they could not withstand the wisdom and the Spirit with which he was speaking. This seems to be a fulfillment of, of Luke, um, as in Luke, the Gospel, um, the, the book, uh, 21, uh, 12 through 15. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. This is truly the case of Stephen here. Stephen was able to minister boldly, to minister powerfully, because the Holy Spirit within him was giving him power to accomplish his ministry. 
Stephen also depended on the Holy Spirit for guidance. It is clear that Stephen was not answering to his own authority or his own will, but um, is instead given over to the guidance of the Spirit in this situation. One of the characteristics of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts is the way that the Holy Spirit continually pulls these apostles along from place to place to place, giving them assignments, giving them tasks, setting their maps and their compasses on the path they are to go. And that is no exception here for Stephen, as Stephen uh, ministers even in the face of death. I don't know Stephen personally, obviously, um, but I would imagine, like most of us, he did have a desire to live. But he put even that aside um, as he spoke directly and boldly to these people who were bitterly angry at him because he was submitting to the authority and the guidance of the Spirit. Overall, we see that that Stephen was not ministering through his own strength, was not ministering in his own power, was not ministering through his own wisdom, but instead he was depending on the Holy Spirit to accomplish those things through him. And so application, um, as as we go through this and each point of this example, um, it's a short walk from seeing Stephen's example um, to, uh, if we we want him to be an example, we, we all have have to apply it, right? So um, we see that as Stephen depended on the Holy Spirit, we too, as believers, as followers of Christ, should depend on the Spirit for the work of ministry before us, whatever the Lord may have for us. Now, the way, uh, the way that the Spirit works in all of our lives is different and unique, right? We're, we all have different life circumstances. We all have different, uh, we all have different gifts of the Spirit, but the act of depending on spirit on the spirit is incumbent upon every Christian, every follower of Christ. So how do you do that? Well, if I could give two, uh, two, two prompts, um, if, I, if I'm looking especially at the bigger picture um, and what these apostles uh, did throughout the entire book of Acts, I would suggest two things. Number one, spend time in active prayer and actively depending on the spirit. Prayer and dependence are two ideas that are closely linked together because prayer by its very nature, when we come to God and we pray, we are admitting that we are not strong enough, that we are not wise enough, that we are not powerful enough to meet the challenges of our life and that we are dependent. We need the Lord to work in our life if there's going to be any change, any positive thing to happen. Fundamentally in prayer, we come, we take a posture of being on our knees, putting our hands out before us saying, Lord, my feet are down, my hands are before me. I have no ability to make this change. I need you to work. And so as we do that, our dependence on the Lord and our dependence on the Holy Spirit is grown. As we spend a lifetime in prayer, by God's grace, we pray that we would be made to depend more and more and more on the Spirit to the point where we are people who are characterized by dependence on the Spirit. But also, my suggestion to you is you see these things that these people did, these these apostles, these early Christians, Stephen, would be to attempt ministry for the Lord beyond your natural ability or your control. Stephen was called to do something difficult, to speak before all these people, to give testimony to the person and work of Jesus. 
There are times that the Lord will be calling us to things that are difficult, things that are hard. The Lord might be calling you, might be calling me to minister to a particular people, particular kind of person. The Lord may be calling, um, may be calling you to a career change. The Lord may be calling you to um, specific uh, missions to, to give in a certain way. The Lord may be calling you to foster care or adoption. Those things are all taxing and they're difficult. And we sense the Lord calling us to do these things. We may be tempted to look and say, that's hard. I don't think I want to do that. Um, those two things, I, I agree with the first. Those are hard things. And it is important for us to recognize when the Lord is calling us to something difficult that it is difficult. Because otherwise, we will be depending on our own strength, on our own ability. But first, we recognize that the thing the Lord is calling us to is hard. But second, instead of saying, I don't want to do that or I can't do that, we say, Lord, if you're calling me to it, I'm going to depend on you to do that. So as we are called to uh, things beyond our natural abilities, we're called to depend on the Holy Spirit to work those things out in us. And as we do so, our dependence on the Spirit will only grow. So Stephen sets an example for us in the way that he ministers by depending on the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in his life and in his ministry here. But Stephen also sets an example for us in his dedication to the Scriptures. Stephen is so clearly dedicated to the scriptures. I don't think I have to convince you of that. We read the whole, we read that passage, right? Um, it's incredible, um, Stephen's commitment to the scriptures. We as Christians are, are not called to make up the faith as we go. We're not called uh, to, to do any and everything we think is, is fit to do as, uh, as a Christian, but we are called to a specific kind of faith that it is defined by the Lord in his written word. And so Stephen sets an example of that. Stephen sets an example in dedication to Scripture in the way that he knows the Scripture and the way that he uses the Scripture. He knew the Scripture well. He used the Scripture well. So Stephen quite clearly knew the Scripture well. I mean, this, this speech that he gives is just full of, um, full of, of Old Testament um, just facts, you know, just like he, he, he speaks of, um, of Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron. He speaks of all uh, of these people. He, he quotes from uh, Psalms. He speaks of the prophets and how they confronted the people of their time. And much of this is, is through very, very specific detail, right? He remembers dates, places, uh, names, um, all of this really specific uh, information. Um, it, he's just one of those people that just know the Bible, right? Everybody knows people in their life, you know, they just, they, they just know the Bible. It's like, it's like they memorize entire books of Scripture. It's like, so, hey, what'd you do last week? It's like, oh, I memorized First Thessalonians. And you're like, you, you did what now? Um, you know, or people that are just like, uh, you want them um, on your team, Bible trivia, uh, my father-in-law is actually a bit like this. He knows he knows the scripture so well. He he loves to he loves to apply um, passages to uh, you know everyday life. He'll he'll be like you know this kind of reminds me about that one guy who took a donkey out west and sold it for a, a shekel and brought it back to town, bought another donkey for a shekel and then sold that donkey for three shekels. And I'm like no, I don't remember that at all. You know, um, he just knows the scriptures. And I get a similar impression from Stephen 
He's dedicated to the scripture. He knows them well. And so he not only has this, you know, like factual knowledge of scripture, he is weaving together a comprehensive story of the Old Testament, right? As he's telling this, he's not just, uh, he's not just reciting the whole Old Testament, but he's building towards a point, right? And he, he's, he's showing how the Old Testament scriptures culminate in the person of Jesus. He understood not just the content of the scriptures, but their message and their intent and their direction, the way that they were moving. Stephen knew the scriptures really well, but he also used them really well. He was very careful in his application of these scriptures in such a way that he showed that he was dedicated to the scriptures, that he valued the scriptures. Stephen is essentially making two arguments in this speech. I, I know that's kind of hard to miss when you just hear it, um, but he is, I promise, making two points. Even he's, he's just recalling this data from scripture. Point number one, he's denying, he's denying the claims that were made against him. Uh, he's denying the claim that he doesn't value um, the law because he, he's saying the law was given by God. It is intensely valued. It is the people of Israel that rejected the law. They are the ones that, that rejected it and necessitated um, salvation through Christ. He says this is um, the temple as well. The temple um, is, is a place where, where the Lord dwells. It is an important part of uh, history and an important part of like the presence of the Lord. But that's point number one. Point number two, which is more controversial for him, was that just as uh, you look through the Old Testament and you see a continual rejection of God's, um, of God's advances, of God's grace given to the Old Testament people, um, even now you are rejecting the Lord. Just in, in the Old Testament, the people, you know, he talks about um, the Joseph's brothers. They rejected him, sold him into slavery. Um, they rejected Moses and the law. They rejected the prophets. Um, and most notably, and most recently, these people who were condemning him here had rejected the Messiah, had rejected the chosen one of God who was sent to fulfill these Old Testament scriptures. So that's why he calls them stiff-necked uh, people uncircumcised and heart and ears and resisting the Holy Spirit is because they were falling in line with the previous behavior of the Old Testament people of Israel of continually rejecting the Lord and his, um, his deliverance. And so um, there are essentially, uh, there are essentially when you see this, Stephen knew the scriptures well, and uh, Stephen understood the scriptures, used the scriptures well, we see that he was dedicated to knowing them and to valuing them in the way that he acted. Now, how can we be dedicated to the scriptures? It's not a mystery, pretty simple. Our dedication to the scripture, number one, we need to study the scriptures carefully. We need to study the scriptures carefully to know them. Just as Stephen uh, is is filled with knowledge of the Bible, is, is understands it well, we too do well to understand the scriptures. The scriptures, um, the Bible gives life, it restores, it, it prompts us to action, it, it uh, pushes us to repentance, it enlivens our faith. It is a, a powerful book that shows us where we have come from, where we are going, and notably, 
we can't be Christians without knowing it, right? Because we can't know Christ without knowing what he said and what he did, right? We need the scriptures, and so we need to study them, to spend time in them, to understand them, and to be familiar with the scripture. We should also be careful in our handling of scripture and the way that we apply it to our lives, the way we use it for our theology. I think most people, we can tend towards one of two errors in using the scriptures, errors that Stephen avoids, I believe. As we interpret and understand and apply the scriptures, I believe we can, number one, understate the scriptures, and number two, overstate the scriptures. If you're wondering if you're understating the scriptures, just ask yourself, do I uh, tend to, um, do I tend to explain away the scriptures? Do I tend to uh, do I tend to find other sources of authority before I come to the Bible? Uh, am I looking for other solutions that are contrary to Scripture? You might be understating the Bible in your use and application of it. Well, if you're overstating the Scripture, you, you may want to just ask these questions of yourself. Do I take um, my theology and uh, impress it upon other people when there's a genuine just difference of opinion? Do I, uh, do I demand that, that others take my interpretations of Scripture as importantly as they take Scripture itself? Um, and the things that I'm asking of someone, are they easily identifiable from the words of Scripture? If you're answering yes to those things, it may be possible that, that, you, uh, that you could tend to overstate the Scriptures. Stephen avoids both of these by directly confronting these people with the conduct of people in the Old Testament and matching it up with the exact same conduct that they are doing themselves. So be careful in that, because we, we want to be dedicated to the Scriptures by knowing them and using them well. We honor the Scriptures as we study and carefully apply them. So um, Stephen sets an example in his dependence on the Spirit, Stephen sets an example in his dedication to the scripture, but most importantly, most vitally, Stephen sets an example in his devotion to Jesus. As you look at Stephen and his actions, they're obviously powerful, right? You see someone who's powerfully ministering in the spirit, someone who is sold out, just just dedicated to knowing and, and applying the scriptures. But most importantly, what gives meaning and life to all of that is that he is devoted to the person of Jesus. If I can make the case for that. Um, first, when you look at Stephen and his actions and his, his death and in his trial, there is a very close, I think undeniable parallel to the death and trial, um, all of that of Jesus. So Ben Witherington notes a few uh, similarities between the two. So he says that both Stephen and Jesus both appear in a trial-like setting. Both suffer the testimony of false witnesses. Both mention the temple's destruction. Both speak of the temple made with hands. Both are charged with blasphemy. Uh, both are asked by the high priest to state their case. Both commit their spirits to God. And both ask God to forgive those who are killing them. In that, I think we see a very strong parallel in, in Stephen and his trial and death and Jesus and his trial and death. Now, do I think Luke is trying to say, oh, Stephen is Jesus? No. I think uh, Luke is trying to make the point that Stephen was so devoted and enamored by the person of Jesus that he emulated him even up to the point of his death. 
that as Stephen faced similar circumstances and persecution, false witnesses, all of this, Jesus' death, Stephen responded the same way. He had spent time pondering the death of Jesus and its effects on him. And his life was so changed that even up to the point of death, he mimicked the character of Jesus in his words and his actions in the way that he confronted this. He was so clearly to me devoted to Jesus, but I don't think we can see this any stronger than at the, the end of this testimony. In verse 59, it says, And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. You can find out a lot about what a person values at the end of their life. They come to their death. And as Stephen was laying there, being pelted with stones, as he was leaving this life, the only life he had ever known. He was coming to the point of death and transitioning from, from this life to the next. He called out to the one person who had been faithful to him, the one person who had never done him wrong, the one person who would be there to receive him on the other side of this death and says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Stephen was so clearly, clearly devoted to the person of Jesus. It is foundational to everything else about him. Stephen was a debater and a defender, of course, a martyr, but above all of that, Stephen was a disciple of Jesus. He was devoted to the person of Jesus. And so if I'm making one final charge to us, it is to pursue the person of Jesus. Pursue Jesus. There's a lot of good things as Christians that we can be devoted to. There's a lot of good things like theology. We can be devoted to a certain set of doctrines. We can be devoted to evangelism, to relief of the poor. We can be devoted to helping others to grow in faith. We can be devoted to children's ministry, student ministry. We can be devoted to worship ministry. We can be uh, devoted to any number of, of missions organizations. We can be devoted to all kinds of things. But what must be central and ground every bit of that is a devotion to the person of Jesus. There was one other man standing here by the name of Saul. Saul approved of Stephen's execution. He took the, took the coats of those who were stoning him. He uh, then turned himself and began uh, persecuting the church. Saul, this man, Saul, was clearly devoted to something, but he was devoted to the externals of his religion. He was not devoted to the Lord and to Christ. Something did change in Saul, something so much that he would write uh, later in Philippians, as he was in jail for his ministry in the name of Christ. 3, 8 through 11 here. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So even this man, 
Even this man here approving of the persecution that was happening to Stephen was radically transformed to be essentially the same thing as Stephen, devoted, sold out, devoted to the person of Christ. Why? It's because he met the person of Jesus. He came to him in faith. He was forgiven of his sins by the death and the resurrection of Christ so that he now longs to be like Christ in his death that he may attain resurrection from the dead. My charge to you is to look at Stephen and this example that he sets, this example of faithfulness, the example of, of, of faith, this example of devotion to Jesus, the one who has died for us, who has purchased our redemption, to follow him in his life and if if it were to ever come to it through his death, but most of all, to fix our eyes in devotion upon Christ. Let me pray for us. Father, we are so grateful for um, your son. We're so thankful for salvation in his name. We're thankful also for men and women who give us examples of faithful devotion, of faithful following after you. And so I pray that we would be motivated to do that through the work of your Spirit. Lord, please refresh anew our understanding of the gospel, our understanding of our salvation from our sins, of redemption in your name, so that we may be empowered to love you with a whole and pure heart. Lord, we pray this in the mighty, matchless, and powerful name of our Savior. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church.